following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Um, we have today the last fruit of the Holy Spirit that we're going to talk about. So we've said in the past how when you choose to follow Jesus and you become a child of God, God, God puts his Holy Spirit in you and there's fruit, there's things that grow in you, good things that grow in you, um, like love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And so today we're talking about self-control. What is self-control? Well, let's just talk about control. A lot of people like to be in control. That means like to be in charge. So when you're playing with other kids, maybe you want to decide what you're going to play. Or when it's nighttime, maybe you want to decide when to go to bed or when not to go to bed. You want to be in charge. Sometimes very little kids try to have control by having a tantrum. They cry and scream and thrash about. And older kids might try to be in control with their words, uh, trying to convince other people, their friends or their parents, to do what they want to do. But self-control is having control of yourself, not of other people. So many people are like a dead leaf. You know, in the fall, which is coming soon, the leaves dry up and they fall to the ground and you can watch the wind just blow the leaf around. So that leaf isn't in control. It's being controlled by the wind. And a lot of people are like that. Even kids, adults, we get blown around by our feelings or by what other people think or by what's popular. But self-control means you don't get blown around by these things. You take control and you take charge of yourself. So if your feelings are telling you that you don't want to go to bed, but your parents or guardians are telling you that you need to go to bed, you take control of yourself, you take charge of yourself, and you do what's right, what's godly and what's right. Not because you'll get punished if you don't, but because you're controlling yourself. You're being, charged, you're being in charge of yourself, and you're choosing to do what's right. And part of self-control is taking charge of our thoughts and our feelings. The Bible says take every thought captive to Christ, to obey Christ. So we all have ungodly thoughts, children, adults, we all have ungodly thoughts. Maybe we have complaining thoughts, or poor me thoughts, or hating someone thoughts, or fearful thoughts. But we can use self-control over our thoughts. We can choose to think what God wants or what is true. And even though that's really difficult, in fact, Proverbs 16.32 says, He who rules or controls his spirit is better than he who takes a city. It's actually more difficult to control yourself than to capture a city. But we can do that with God's help. So let's ask him. Lord God, we thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit. All those who are your children have your spirit in us. And we ask you to empower us to take control, to have self-control. 
so that we can be pleasing to you. Amen. Thank you very much, Robin, for that message. It was uh, really very intriguing. Um, I remember something that happened to me many years ago when I was still working. Um, I had a boss, and my boss and I never really got along. And um, she, the boss was kind of insecure, and so would try to assert authority by basically countering just about everything I said. So I learned to do something like this. Say, if I wanted this memo or something I was writing to be done in two days, I say, I don't think we need to do it till next week. And the boss would say, no, 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 I want it done fast tomorrow. Okay, I'll do it. And after a while, I learned to play the boss just like the uh, pastor plays the guitar. I figured, this isn't right, you know, it's bad ethics on my part. I was getting very, very manipulative. And I, so I did the, the honorable thing. I fired my boss and moved on, which is uh, kind of draconian. But you have to watch that. The manipulation and, you know, you have to have control over your life. Anyway, there are, today's reading is from 1 John uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 21. <clears throat> Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Christ Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit, uh, spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his life is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, is so also are we in the world. There is no fear of love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must almost also love his brother. So we're continuing in John chapter 4. We began last week by looking at the first six verses. And uh, 
as mentioned earlier, I'm seeking to keep things short. And uh, so I'm going to dive in and see uh, and see what we could do here. <laughs> I'm getting smiles up at the front. Isn't that nice? All right. So we're, let's go back and we're going to read verses 7 through 9. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So all the way through the letter of John, if you've been following, he's very, very clear that the person who claims to truly believe in Jesus uh, is somebody who also loves fellow believers. If, in fact, if we don't, then that is proof positive that we're fakes. Even I've been finding John's writing on the harsh side and really tried to grapple with what must be going on within the community and the forces that are, that are trying to influence uh, John's community, which I've explained is likely a set of churches, probably in modern-day Turkey. They might be the churches listed in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. There were people who had some sort of relationship to these communities, some sort of understanding of the truth, but they'd gone out and it sounds as if they're asserting a real negative influence upon these communities. And one of the things that seems to be going on is that this was a day of, of a, an early form of thinking called Gnosticism, spelt with a G. G-N-O-S-T-ism. Gnosticism. Uh, I see. Anyway, you get it. We don't have time. Don't take up a lot of time with lots of extra explanations, Alan. Okay. Gnosticism was a, a spirituality that divided the things, uh, the material things from the spiritual things and made a really big separation. And you could see that happening in our day. A, uh, a scholar that I really respect, his name is N.T. Wright. I don't agree with everything that he says, but he has said that he believes that Gnosticism is actually the prevailing heresy in our day today. There's so many ways we split the, our earthly existence from the spiritual one, which you actually cannot do, because in reality, they're, they go together. I, I use the word integrated. They're interwoven. They're not one and the same. They're two aspects of life, the material and the spiritual. But there's so many ways that we split those. And one of the ways that we split them is very prevalent today. It's very difficult to know exactly what John was fighting against because he doesn't say so explicitly, which is actually quite wonderful because then the principles that he's sharing can be applied to situations that aren't exactly like the one he was dealing with. How many people claim to believe in Jesus but actually couldn't care less about people? 
They couldn't care less about people in general, never mind fellow believers. Their spirituality is about them and God. Me and God and everybody else can go wherever. That kind of attitude. I don't need anybody. They don't need me. I'm good. I've got it figured out. And they might be happy sharing some of those things on social media or YouTube. Me, myself, spouting what I think with no connection to other people. According to John, if our spirituality does not connect with other people in a loving way, it's fake. It's not about Jesus. It's about something else. Read the Gospels. Jesus was so down to earth. He was like every man's guy. He loved everybody. He connected with everybody. He had a heart for the rich. He had a heart for the poor. He cared about the religious leaders. That's why he said the things that he said about them. He wasn't trying to live a solitary life, and he wasn't calling his followers to live a solitary life. He, he, by the will of God, was thrown into the muck and mire of human existence, and he touched lepers, he touched the blind, he spoke with women, he spoke with a Samaritan woman. Which he broke those, those social conventions and actually showed people what the love of God was really like. And it wasn't theoretical, it was practical. The other part of this, though, is because some people go, yeah, I get it. All you need is love. As if that's it then. And there have been versions of so-called Christianity that have actually preached that. Oh, it doesn't matter what you really believe. It doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus. Maybe he really existed. Maybe he really said the things that he said. Maybe he really did. Well, that doesn't really matter. He came to teach us love. And there are verses in 1 John that almost sound like all you need is love, as if that's the proof positive of what it means to be a child of God. But he's very, very clear. I'm actually jumping ahead in, in the passage a little bit here that true believers are those who believe in the actual historical Jesus of Nazareth who actually died on the cross, rose from the dead, and has become the savior of the world. A true child of God entrusts himself to that, which is what believe means, and lives a life of love. They have to go together. So let's go down to uh, verses 13 and the middle of verse 16. Remember last week I talked about how in the ancient Greek, in the New Testament, there's not even spaces between the words, let alone punctuation and verses. And so um, translators have done a pretty good job with some of the breaks, but sometimes they've missed it. So it looks like the, there's a, um, call it a thought bubble, like a, a paragraph that ends in the middle of verse 16. So verses 13 through middle of verse 16. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. As we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Now last week I talked about how there's a dynamic that happens that when we truly trust that Jesus is who he says that he is, is, not was, 
and live a life of God, something happens, something happens inside that's not from us, that God's Spirit actually does a convincing work in us that we really are children of God. Now, I mentioned last time, and it might, there might have been some confusion over, that last time we talked about antichrists and false prophets, and John says many of them have gone into the world. And what I was trying to say is just because something seems Holy Spirit-like doesn't make it truly Holy Spirit. Maybe one day I'll tell you the story about our own journey with regard to the Holy Spirit and things charismatic and some of these things and the, the kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Lots and lots of good. Life transformation good. But as we say, as my people say, oi, some of the bad is terrible because in the name of Jesus, some of the things that people are told it, it's, have been terrible. Just one, just one thing. So we're at this church on, in Vancouver, in Vancouver area, and it became popular to talk about what God is doing today. That, I'm just, and I'm not going to mince words. What an arrogant thing to say. And maybe some of you heard this, where the person gets up and goes, what God is doing in the world today. Well, I, I did a brief count. There's about 7 billion people in the world and my understanding of scripture is that means there's probably about 7 billion things that God is doing in the world today. What's happening with one person isn't necessarily happening with the other. And so we were seeing things like if you didn't laugh, if you didn't cry, if you didn't fall, if you didn't go to the conference, if you didn't uh, go to this, this prayer meeting, then there was something wrong with you. And that, in, I have no trouble saying that is terrible. If God is doing a work in you and, and it's making a good transformation and it's in keeping with what scripture really says, that is wonderful. But just because you're having an experience, that doesn't automatically make it from God because there's all sorts of experiences happening with people in the world. I remember being at a pretty intense conference. It was actually, it was here in Ottawa. We were living in Montreal back in the, it was 90 or 91. And there's a worship time. And uh, it was in the, um, the arena where the 67s play. Um, and um, so we were on the floor, no ice, there was, there was wood. And there was one young lady, she was worshiping, but she was spinning around. And I started watching, she's spinning and spinning and spinning. I thought, well, she's gonna have a spiritual experience one way or the other. And like, what, is, what are we doing? We don't have to hype things up. If God's actually working, He's the one who will work. We don't have to help him. We need to pray for people. We need to be open uh, to what he's doing. And sometimes what he might do is pretty strange. I've read the Bible and there are some strange things. But just because it's strange doesn't automatically make it from God. And there are people that believe, there's parts of the church that believe that we shouldn't discern. We should just let things happen and whatever happens, happens. And we just ask God to come and things will happen. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Things will happen. We need leadership. We need wisdom. We need discernment. But we really do need the power of the Holy Spirit. By my being concerned about the excesses and the, and the frauds, which we should be um, concerned about, in no way do I want to quench the biblical word of the, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Moving on. 
verses six, middle verse 16 through 18. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is, is love per, by this is love perfected with us, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I'm tempted to say, who fears? And see what happens. Because if I would be honest, I would put up my hand. And this passage has been a problem for me. John is telling me, eventually, through all these generations, that if somebody, if, if I fear, then I've not been perfected in love. And I've been very disturbed by this because I've really struggled fear and anxiety in my life. Um, maybe some of you watched the Thinking Biblically podcast that I did this week on the topic of fear and COVID in particular. I'm grateful for people who have been responding very positively to that. They have found it quite helpful. Then my friend, a renowned psych- Christian psychologist, wrote me a long email of all sorts of concerns that he, that, that he had. So what did I do with his permission? Next week, I'm responding to all of his concerns in the email. Um, had a lot of fun doing it. Um, but for you know, some people don't naturally fear. You just kind of, sometimes you might wonder if you're alive, but some people don't deal with fear, and other people deal with fear a lot. And so this could be quite disturbing. In fact, in fact, it can add to it. And so I really struggle with this part of the passage this week, last week and, and this week. Um, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And I realized something. I always thought this meant that if I had the perfect love of God, then I would not fear. Oh God, give me your perfect love so I would stop fearing. And, I, that's, and some people have experienced that sort of thing. And if that's you, that's great. And maybe you didn't have a grand experience. Maybe you are so secure in God's love that Fear is not an issue to you. But other people really, really struggle with fear. Well, I saw something here that I'd never seen before. And what it is, is that, first of all, what is perfect love? To us, it sounds like when we read that in the English, it's love without any imperfection whatsoever. But the Bible doesn't use the word perfect to mean that. Perfect means mature or complete. It's a full kind of love. Love as love is supposed to be. Now, John's been talking about love. And he talks about God being loved. Being loved, it comes up again in the passage. And if God is love, then we're to love one another. And so, what is love perfected? It's God's love expressed to us in a way that it's fully intended. And the true outcome of God's love If it's at work in us, that means we can face the judgment with confidence. In other words, when we know that God truly loves us, and then that is expressed by loving one another, we know we're God's child. When we know we're God's child, then we can face the coming judgment confidently. So, um, if we love truly, then what we're going to do 
is cast away fear. For many of us, to love others is scary. And John is telling us, God through John is telling us, if you're a real child of God, you're not going to put up with that fear. He's not saying, sit back in your house and wait for all the fear to go away. Because once you really know God's love, loving other people will just be easy peasy. No. A mature love goes, get away from me, fear. You're not going to control my life. I'm going to love anyway. Perfect love casts out fear. It's not necessarily as passive as I thought it was. Oh, if I only had God's love, then I would more naturally uh, have no fear. No, if I know God's love and I know what he's done for me, then I'm going to be compelled to love other people. I'm going to, I'm going to, look, look what God has done for me. I need to do that for others. And so I don't have to be intimidated by fear any longer if I know the love of God. That doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable. It means that we're going to get up and we're going to start doing things that we may have been uncomfortable with before. Verses 19 and 20. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so, again, this is similar to what John has been saying. But the reason why we love is because he has loved us first. And there's that, the parable of the, um, of the, of the unworthy steward who was forgiven so much of his debt and could have been thrown into and was actually he was going to be thrown into prison because of all that he begged for mercy from his boss and his boss completely let him off the hook he went out he saw a fellow servant who owed him a little bit of money his, his the servant asked for mercy and he said no no you got to pay me back and he had him thrown into debtor's prison however that works And Jesus used that as a bad example. If we have been so forgiven, so we should forgive others. And if we don't forgive others, that shows that we have not actually experienced the forgiveness that God has given to us. It's the same way with love. If God has so loved us by sending a son into the world, self-initiated love, selfless, sacrificial, generous love, that sets us free from our wrongs. You know, the world today is trapped in guilt. That's one of the things that we're seeing with what's called with this the cancel culture. People are so angry. Do they really think by tearing down some statues they're going to feel better? They're going to find relief and release from their resentment and their bitterness? That can only be dealt with if we could stand before God and receive the sacrificial love of God as expressed by his son who died for our wrongs, our wrongs. He's the savior of the world. He's died for everyone. Not everyone takes advantage of it, but it's available to everyone. That's another problem with Gnosticism is, is again, it's so wrapped up in me, myself, and I, and my spirituality before God. It doesn't break, 
those who, who ascribe to such things, their hearts don't break for the people around them. We should care about what's going on. What, and when we see through the media, through social media, all the anger that people are experiencing, are we responding with anger towards them? Or are we responding with a broken heart, seeing how people are trapped by their anger and they can only be freed through the love and forgiveness of Jesus? And it's all wrapped up in verse 21. And this command we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This takes us back to before Jesus' last Passover. It's a place called the Upper Room. And he washed their feet and he was teaching them and he was saying to them that the way that he loved them, they were to love one another. And that's what he says to us. It's John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. God is love. God is love. If we claim to believe in Jesus and claim to be children of God, we too need to be marked by the love brand. Love should be all over us. Not an airy-fairy, ooey-gooey type of love. There's a, there's a place for that. But the get-your-hands-dirty, uncomfortable, risky, scary kind of love. And so John makes it clear that we must love one another. In the verse before, if we don't love our brothers and sisters whom we can see, how can we claim to love God who we can't see? If we truly love the invisible God, then we should be loving our visible brothers and sisters. And that's the outworking of God's love. When we know God's love, the way it becomes perfected, mature and complete is when it extends itself from us to others. That's the completion of God's love, the fulfillment of God's love through uh, that, he, that Jesus came to do is when it works powerfully through each one of us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in a confusing time, we have a, a, your word which is stable and sure. It can be confusing, but we thank you that with the help of your spirit, you help us to understand what you are saying. And best of all, to live it out with one another and unto others. Lord, show us. Show us where we've been giving into fear, where our love is still immature. May love grow in us, the love given to us as a gift by your Son, and that we might love our brothers and sisters here, throughout our community and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.